One of the fire setters' uh, reason for setting fires is sexual gratification. And he would go to a gay bar, he'd get frustrated, and on the way back he was experienced satisfaction by setting these fires. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. The podcast that makes your law enforcement dreams happen. Welcome to the Go Law Enforcement Podcast, brought to you by GoLawEnforcement.com. I'm your host, Joe Lebowski. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, GoLawEnforcement.com has the largest listing of law enforcement job openings. To help you get that law enforcement job, we've put together a special guide for you. Seven inside tips to get a law enforcement job fast. You can get the guide for free just by going to jobtipsnow.com. That's jobtipsnow.com. Steve Clater is a fire investigator, certified arson canine handler, and law enforcement officer. In this episode of the Go Law Enforcement podcast, Steve talks about how to determine the cause of a fire and how the use of canines has been a game changer. Steve Clater, thanks for being on the Go Law Enforcement podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. And you are a fire investigator and certified arson canine handler. That is correct, and also law enforcement. You also were a, a police officer. That is correct, and I am still pursuing a career as a uh, law enforcement officer at a local university outside Cincinnati, Ohio. So can you kind of explain to me what a fire investigator does? Fire investigator works usually for a fire department, and their job is to determine the cause of every unfriendly fire that a fire department responds to, uh, meaning if you respond to a grill fire, that's basically a friendly fire, but if a structure fire, uh, then the fire chiefs by law is determined to determine the cause of a fire, and there are individuals in the fire department that hopefully get trained and get experience on how to determine the cause of fire. And you're also a certified arson canine handler. What what does that entail? There are basically two organizations that train certified canines to sniff out ignitable liquids. The ATF trains them and the Maine Specialty Dogs out of Maine and the Maine State Police, and they're certified by a third party, which is the Maine Criminal Justice Center that certifies the canines, and we have to be recertified every year to make sure that the handler and the canine is efficient in seeking out the ignitable liquids at a fire scene. Is that a pretty rare specialty, the uh, arson canine handler? The program I'm in with the Maine State Police and the Criminal Justice Center, there's probably about 200 dogs in the country. In Ohio, there's two dogs. Indiana, there's two. Kentucky, there's one. There might be three or four in Michigan. So that uh, it, it, there are very few dogs that are actually certified to do the canine. You were working as a firefighter when you got into fire investigation, is that right? 
That is correct. You know, you, you get in this profession and your God sends you in a direction. When I got out of high school, I joined the volunteer fire department because I felt like I wanted to help people. At the same time, I was working at the University of Cincinnati as a, as a maintenance guy. But in the fire service, I tagged up with a senior guy and I started doing fire investigation because it's it's a puzzle and I and I just thrive on trying to figure out a puzzle. So the mechanics that I learned as a uh, building superintendent and emergency maintenance department at UC kind of really set me in the right direction because the mechanical and electrical things do start fires and I can determine how they work and why they work. So in the 80s, I got into the fire service as a, as a career firefighter and I then became the commander of a county team to investigate fires within the county. And as things went on, I noticed that um, our samples going to the lab uh, were not coming back as I thought they should. So I started researching it. We were using electric meters, sniffers basically, and found that they would go off on anything. So I was at a training in Ohio Arson School, and the first canine was trained to do ignitable liquids, and they brought it into the school in about 89, I guess it was, and I saw it, and I said, that's it. That's what I want to do. So I talked to the chief, and we got donations, and I ended up going to Maine for four weeks to be trained as a canine handler, and my samples going to the lab increased to about 92% of our samples being sent in coming back. When we thought it was arson, we had a sample. We thought ignitable liquids was used. We were 92% of efficiency. So the canine is so sensitive and certified to be very good at what they do that uh, it really helps out on a fire investigator at a scene. Are there certain breeds of dogs that are typically used for arson canine? Uh, yeah, most of the canines, they're, they're black labs or golden labs. They're Labradors because of their personality. And most of them are coming from other uh, like a CNI dog program when they flunk out because the most elevated training would be a CNI dog and then they come down to be uh, sniffers, you know, bomb dogs and uh, ignitable liquid canines come out of that. And my canine actually came from Florida as a, a CNI dog and, and he's still working. But uh, the labs are because we sniff persons of interest at scenes and people will pet the dog. Nine out of 10 people will pet a dog, and when they pet them, the dog's sniffing, and it indicates, you know, we're going to find out a little little further information on why the canine hit on that person that, that owns the house at 3 o'clock in the morning fully dressed and got gasoline on their pants or something is pretty exciting and, and helping out with the, the case. Has there been a situation where somebody interacting with the canine, petting the canine, that that was kind of a a tipping point with making that person a, a heightened suspect? Yeah, I had a case in Cincinnati. I was, I'm a Green Township Fire Department. It's a community fire department outside of Cincinnati on the west side. But I worked with Cincinnati quite a bit because they got more fires than I did. And there was a fire um, on down along the river, and it was two, 300 people were there. Uh, I got to the scene. I noticed that the Cincinnati police had their horses out. So I went up to the guys and told them what I was doing. And, and they said, okay. I said, just keep an eye on me, make sure things aren't getting out of hand. So 
as I started walking the crowd, uh, I noticed the, the horses were going in a different direction. So I just kept going to the crowd. We were doing a sniff through the, the people there. And then all of a sudden, next thing I know, the horses took off. I looked down the street. There's a, one guy running down the street, ended up being a police chase. They chased him down. They got him. And later on, he confessed to setting the fire. So it's kind of, it all worked together in a strange way. You're also a police officer. How does how does it interact with being a police officer, the firefighting, and the uh, arson investigation? One of the problems that we're having still today is if fire chiefs are required by law to determine a cause of fire, and the guys that get in don't really understand the law as well as they should, you're getting into you know, search and seizure, you're getting to Michigan versus Tyler, Michigan versus Clifford as far as entry into a house. You know, a fire, fire, fire department enters a house by law under exigent circumstances because there's an emergency going on and we go in and put it out. But then when the fire department determines the cause of fire, let's say I pull up on a scene and the chief says, uh, it's electrical fire, but I want you to look at it. And I said, well, chief, I can't go in. You've determined the cause of fire. And he said, well, it, you, you've got to go in and look at it just to confirm it. And so I said, well, I've got to get a consent to search or search warrant because once a determination of a fire is determined, then you cannot go in without a search warrant or consent because the chief has determined the cause of fire. So, and then as that progresses, you get into interviewing and interrogation taking samples. So you go into law enforcement and it kind of overlaps a lot. And my brothers and sisters in law enforcement, they, they're very good at their job and I'm not criticizing them, but they don't understand fire where a firefighter understands fire. And when I would have a fire, you know, I call for a police officer to back me up and to be around. And, you know, when a, if a bank robber occurs, you know, you get over 10 police officers to investigate that crime and there's less than $3,000 stolen. I could be at a house fire. It's a million dollar loss. And I can only get one police officer there because it's, they're just not out to investigate those kind of things and they don't understand the fire. So it's, as the investigation goes on, you start interviewing people and then it turns into a case and then you get a confession and then the cops want to come in and say, We'll help you now, but they don't understand the first part of it, which actually builds the case. So the arts and investigations that you do, potentially they could become, or they are, criminal cases. Absolutely. When you go to a fire, you have no clue what starts the fire, and you have to start going through your basics. When, it, when I go to a house fire or any kind of fire, you, you go through a systematic approach so you We'll take pictures of the front of the building, and then in the fire service, we call it A, B, C, and D, which is A is the front, B is the left-hand side, C is the back, D is the right-hand side, and we use that on radio traffic. So when you give a direction, everybody in the world knows where we're going. So we go through and take pictures that way, and then you go through the house and take pictures through the entire house. And then you'll go through the electrical system, you'll go through the natural gas system, and then you limit yourself into a room of origin. And once you get the room of origin, then you start going through everything in the room, reconstructing it, 
and determining where the point of origin is and then look for any ignition sources in that area. With a arson investigation, is there often a aha moment where all of a sudden you realize, hey, I've, I've got my so-called smoking gun here? Yeah, there is quite a bit of that. When, when you start digging through a scene and literally we use shovels and, you know, uh, sifters and it's a, a gotcha thing when either it's accidental or a set fire, you're happy to find the physical evidence because in a crime, as far as a bank robbery or something of that, the, you know, there's physical evidence there. And in a fire scene, most of my physical evidence is burned up or has changed form. So you have to be able to analyze it and say, well, what is this thing? Or, you know, is this electrical fault or is this a, the fault was caused by the fire or the fire caused the fault? So you have to know how in the mechanics to understand how this stuff works and put it all together to, to come up with the correct answer. During an arson investigation, at what point in time do you bring in a canine and, and how do you actually utilize that canine? The canine is used as a tool, just like anything else. So when you go to a fire scene, if it's my scene or if I'm going to somebody else's, they have to go through the scene and dig it out, shovel out the debris, and then reconstruct it to look to see what they can find. And then at that point, we can bring the canine in to sniff because if we're on uh, doing a sniff of a, of a kitchen and the second floor is in the kitchen, we have to dig the second floor out of the kitchen so we can get to the items in the, in the kitchen and reconstruct that. And then we'll do a sniff in that area to see if there's a pour pattern or ignitable licks, liquids in that area. But you got to get the debris off the top of it to get to the actual area that you're sniffing. Can you talk about some of the cases that you work that highlight your role as a fire investigator? I worked very closely with Cincinnati. We had an apartment fire. We had two separate fires. Uh, we had to rescue victims out of the apartment fire. And one of the guys that were on the medic unit told me later on, I knew I had two different points of origin. I knew I had a set fire. The one guy said, well, I got this car parked across the street from the firehouse and he was sitting there watching us. So he got the license number. It wasn't anybody that lived at the apartment and I had his license plates run. The guy lives about a mile from the firehouse. So I called Cincinnati and I said, have you ever seen this car before? And they said, yeah, he's been stopped three or four times in Cincinnati. They've been having a rash of fires for about seven weeks and they were all on a Thursday night. I said, okay. So I set up with one of the detectives and on a Thursday night, we followed this guy, and we ended up losing him at about 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we did follow him to a, a gay bar in Cincinnati, and on the way home, he stopped at a different bunch of places, and we've lost him and found him, and then we ended up losing him. About 4.30, the detective wanted to go home, so we went home. I thought, well, I'll try one more time. So I went by one of the firehouses uh, in Cincinnati and found that they were out and called on the radio, and they said they're at a three-alarm fire down the street. So I went down there, and the person we were following was there at the fire scene in the middle, and he had rescued three people out of the building, and he was their hero. So I went to the fire chief and told him what I had done and what was in this. This guy's a person of interest, and since I had police grabbed him and took him away and just about caused a riot because all the people there knew he had saved the people. 
But anyways, they ended up taking him in, and one of the investigators from Cincinnati interrogated him or interviewed him for 11 hours. He and Vincent eventually rolled over and told him that he set the fires and all the other fires he went on. So kind of worked together. Do you know why he was doing this on Thursday evenings? One of the fire setters' uh, reason for setting fires is sexual gratification. And he would go to a gay bar, he'd get frustrated, and on the way back he was experienced satisfaction by setting these fires. I assume that there's a whole wide variety of motivations for people to commit arson. Can you talk about your experience and what some of those motivations have been? I've had fires for revenge. Bikers have set each other's clubhouses on fire. Business owners will set uh, their business on fire to conceal their their business is not doing very good and their product is not very good, so they'll burn the house. I've had where if you see a bed set on fire or a closet set on fire, you can usually determine pretty quickly that it's either the man or woman is most likely messing around and a woman will set a bed on fire quicker than anything if a guy's messing around and you'll find clothes in the front yard set on fire. People will, if they're mad at somebody, will set them on fire. And I'd say most of the fires I see is some kind of revenge or somebody's mad at somebody else and this is the way they're going to get back at them. Well, Steve, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. If you're looking for a job in law enforcement, check out the largest listing of law enforcement jobs on golawenforcement.com. To help you get that law enforcement job you want and deserve, we put together a special guide for you. Seven inside tips to get a law enforcement job fast. You can get the guide for free just by going to jobtipsnow.com. That's jobtipsnow.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.